Welcome to the Legendarium. One day they were trying to find uh, their next victim. So they went to the local mall and hung around the dumpster. They're throwing out the, uh, the old Auntie Anne's pretzels because they knew that the weakest among them would be there to scrounge for food. I, I got your sound level, but I'm kind of interested to hear about <laughs> these psychotic birds now. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. Once again, my name is Craig Hanks, uh, and I'm awesome. Wow, you're <laughs> you're really stretching it on these ones, aren't you? No, I am not. Uh, but now we might as well introduce that guy. He's on stage so much, I'm nicknaming him Bette Midler. It's Ryan Bruckman. I accept him. Don't you dare rain on my parade. Wow. Uh, he's so cool, you have to keep him in the fridge or he'll spoil. It's Tommy Curran. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing. And I've got him right where I want him, about 2,000 miles away. It's Jeffrey Inch. It's probably a good thing because I haven't showered in a couple of days, so. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Thanks for sharing, buddy. That's unnecessary. If if there's an odd odor coming from your speakers. It's the beauty of participating via Skype. Yeah, indeed. Um, all right, so before we jump in, uh, we'll run through a few things. Uh, I just want to thank... First of all, everybody for listening. I do this every once in a while because every once in a while it really gets brought to my attention that I need to. Uh, Ryan, you know what I've learned from our our podcast stats? Because I keep really close track of that. I watch our stats every day. Please tell me that we're big in Japan. (laughs) Well, we are getting big in Japan. That's true. Uh, No. Okay, so A, people like Tolkien, right? People love to listen to our Tolkien episodes. Uh, And B, people really like Brandon Sanderson. Sanderson. <laughs> it's nuts. <laughs> Since we started doing Brandon Sanderson books, our uh, listenership has just exploded. It's awesome. Yeah. So thank you, everybody who's listening. I hope that you guys enjoy this series. We're doing The Reckoners. Um, I, I hope that you enjoy it because it isn't part of the Cosmere. And so I, I know that from the folks at Worlds Without End, by the way, you should go to worldswithoutend.com and join our reading challenge. But the people there in the... Um, in the forums and who are writing the reviews and stuff are they they don't have as much love for reckoners and i suspect it has something to do with it not being part of the cosmere uh and being young adult fiction anyway we'll get into that stuff there goes my first three points (laughs) (laughs) uh speaking of which uh just so that you guys listening know uh, spoiler alert yes we are going to spoil steelheart so if you haven't finished it this should go without saying but if you haven't finished it go finish it first and then listen to this uh or you know if you don't care about spoilers i guess some people don't yeah i don't get it with brandon sanderson books especially because that's the fun of the book uh, but anyway, the other half of that, though, is that there are no spoilers here for other series. So uh, if you're if you're reading this as your first Brandon Sanderson experience, that's fine. We're not going to spoil Mistborn or Elantris or Stormlight for you. So don't worry about that. Ryan is going to contain himself. <laughs> I Tom- will do my best. Tommy is going to contain himself. Let's edit mine out. <laughs> uh, and uh, lastly, congratulations to our winner for the uh, MZ contest. Um, I'll put the the winner uh, the winner's name in the uh, what do you call it description, description. of this episode. <laughs> uh, so their their name will be on there. They won a signed copy of Bands of Mourning. 
signed not only by the panelists from the Legendary Podcast, but also by Brandon Sanderson himself, which is the more important piece, probably. But, uh, you know, we did want to pen a little thank you for listening. Thank you to all of you who have joined us at imsy.com slash legendarium. We're having a great time there. We've had a couple hundred entries into the contest, and so... It's been good to see you all join, and and some of you have even joined in uh, commenting and posting, which has been great. So thank you very much, everybody. Someone else has to call Craig out sometimes. Well, well, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So shall we uh, start Steelheart now, four minutes in? Yeah. Let's, Let's do this. All right. Let's do it. Steelheart is a young adult novel set in a post-apocalyptic world featuring a teenaged hero out to overthrow an oppressive government. Of course, when I say it like that, I have no more desire to read or recommend this book than I would any other prefabricated YA novel. Seriously, I'm getting kind of sick of them. Somehow, though, Steelheart is different enough and good enough that I do recommend it. Highly. Steelheart is set in the city of Nukago ten years after the arrival of Calamity, a bright red something in the sky. Epics were ordinary people but now are superhuman variant uh superhumans with various comics <laughs> i can't even say this with various comic book style powers man this is a really tough one and the epics appeared with calamity uh now i call them superhumans not superheroes because with great power it turns out comes great dickishness basically all epics are evil and out to rule the world uh that's a, a word by the way I'm coining it. Our plucky hero is... You can coin it. doesn't make it currency. (laughs) (laughs) Our plucky hero is David Charleston, an 18-year-old orphan whose father was killed by Steelheart when David was a boy. Since then, he has devoted his life to getting his revenge. Getting his revenge, though, will be tough since Steelheart is the most powerful epic in the world. Invincible, immortal with the ability to transform any solid, non-living object to steel, which is exactly what he did to the entire city of Chicago. To get his revenge, David joins the Reckoners, a group of regular humans with a pretty simple mission, to kill as many epics as they can. At David's urging, they, t- they decide to take on Steelheart, free the city from his tyrannical rule, and get David his revenge. Why is this book so acceptable to me when I can't bring myself to care about others like it? Is it the male hero, the more original premise? Is it just because it has Brandon Sanderson's name on it? Let's find out. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you guys think? Um, Answer my question. Why is this so awesome? There's a good open-ended question for you. (laughs) Uh, Well, um, it is a a great book. I don't know about awesome. Um, Simply, and I'm going to say, since you already hit on it, and we'll get it right out of the way here, just because its styling is different and a little, and because it is aimed more for a young adult uh, audience, um, it's a great young adult book. But it it's not as enjoyable to me as his other as some of the other works. So I'm gonna get that out of the way right there, so you know where I stand. So yeah, and that's fine. I can accept that. One of my big pet peeves is when I say something like that, and somebody says, "Oh, so you hated it?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, no, no, I didn't hate it. I just said I liked it. I'm just saying it's not my favorite of what he did anytime you put a qualifier on this you know it's good but well they immediately whatever the butt is tends to carry more weight um and that's my butt carries plenty (laughs) of weight i'll tell you that right (laughs) i I have known this for years i've known that for years that's (laughs) the jokes the jokes um but so i'm a big proponent of uh judging things against what they are and this is a fantastic young adult novel and a good book 
Um, and part of the reason that is is because it takes the common uh, threads that we've been seeing lately in young adult literature and makes them a little less uh, brooding and dramatic, even though the character still has his... He has some elements of that. He has yeah, his moments. Yeah. Still has that chip on the shoulder, still has that. But I feel like it's a little... It's a little less of the... Uh, I, I don't know. Brooding is the only word that comes to mind. Angsty. I, I, angsty, yes. The yeah. teen teen angsty thing. It's it's there. The love story is a little shallow, but so is a teenager. So <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Hey, uh, Jeff, have you read a lot of young adult novels and uh, to compare this one to? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of like young adult novels. I mean, think back. Harry Potter really is young adult. Sure. Um, I loved the Hunger Games. Um, and when I started reading this, I actually didn't know that it was a young adult novel. I just knew it was by Brandon Sanderson and you guys would be doing, um, an episode on it. But when I started reading it, it was kind of apparent in kind of the exact ways that, that Ryan just pointed out the, uh, you know, with the shallow love story and all that kind of stuff. Like there was a lot more, um, of that. But one thing that I liked about it, exactly kind of what you said, Craig, is that it is different, even though he is, it's, Kind of revendory, you know. He's going after the guy who killed his father. Um, he's got he's very optimistic, and he's got kind of a goofy uh, personality as well. Like you can tell by his stupid uh, metaphors and analogies, right? And and stuff like that. So he's he's kind of playful, which is not something you really see in you know like Katniss or oh my gosh, some yeah. of these other ones in these kind of dystopian future. That's, that's one of the things for which me. Was, is, which was refreshing. Yeah, it's just the, really the humor is better. What do you think, Tommy? Well, yeah, I actually had a problem with the young adult tag on this because I read all like the Percy Jackson books, all the Harry Potter, all that stuff that I think is really young adult. And right out of the gate, when I first read this first chapter, I was like, whoa, this is a little harder than... It's most got, an, young got adult. an edge to it. Yeah, I mean, you mean the prologue? Yeah, totally the prologue. Right. Like they turned a, a baby in a woman's arms to dust, right? Right out of the yeah. gate. And I'm like, okay, my nephew that's reading all the Percy Jackson books and really into young adult, he's like 11. I'm like, I don't know if I would recommend this one to him yet. Like it's a little bit older than a lot of young adult, if that right. makes sense. Right, well, you know, when you're 11, gosh, I, you know, you're not a young adult. You are a child. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> but, uh, and so it's not a children's book. Not a children's definitely. book. And I think that's what I was expecting. But I, one of the things that drives more. me so crazy about young adult novels uh, in general is that they tend to talk down to the young adults yeah. and not take their intellectual or emotional maturity seriously, such as it is. You know, like you said, Ryan, uh, teenagers are pretty shallow and, and that's fine. You know, we all were. Yeah, that's There's not a problem with that. But there is they're not children mm -hmm. and they can handle certain things that, uh, that children can't, Yeah, you know, even if they're not quite adults yet. Cause David's what he's 18. 18. Yeah. 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 And we need to be careful a, just that, I mean, this could very easily become a, a 20 minute discussion on <laughs> the, the flaws of young adult fiction. <laughs> oh, well, I was going to say young adults, <laughs> <laughs> Both. but, uh, those millennials, the, the fact of the matter is, is, uh, this book, um, each of the characters is, as Craig says, is with one of the flaws being that they talk down to their audience. I didn't feel that that was the case here, uh, too, very often. Um, every once in a while. Yeah. But it wasn't it wasn't uh, jarring. No, it, and I feel like 
the the emphasis was was still put on uh, telling the story and uh, and not worrying about necessarily ex- um, the intricacies that you find in in uh, some of the other higher literature. We do get a little glimpse into the system of government uh, governance. Right. We do get a little mm-hmm. bit of how the economy is set up and running there, but those aren't crucial those those aren't big pieces that that factor into the story itself too much right um what does become what is the 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 pieces that tend to to shift the most are your epics uh and their abilities and their weaknesses like those are those are huge plot points that we end up working around and you can very easily in in liter uh just kind of let those things be uh Big. Can you tell we're recording this early in the morning? <laughs> that I can't. Get, I can't get my thought processes <laughs> together. They could. You could just write it off as the big magic, you know. Right. But he he doesn't. He makes. Uh, he does take these and he makes them uh, crucial plot points that every epic that you deal with. Yeah, you start to be, be curious. Okay, what is what's their weakness? Why is it their weakness? And so as you're getting to learn about these other you know, the the crew that he ends up with and how they take down epics, though that becomes crucial. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's fun. Yeah. It's because uh, one, one thing about Brandon Sanderson books, if you read his other stuff, his Cosmere stuff, is the magic systems are so rigid that once you learn them, the the fun is kind of in finding out how to break what you thought were the laws of that magic system, right? Mm-hmm. This one doesn't have such a rigid... Uh, system in place and it really keeps you guessing which uh, probably drives some people crazy uh they want the more rigid thing and that's fine uh, you know uh, i love the uh, you know allomancy and Farukami. like those are great but something about this where he can really let his creativity out uh mm-hmm. and just you know kind of have some more fun with it i guess I, I don't know how better to say it it's pretty early for me too <laughs> No, I think that's a great way to say it, though. Like, I mean, it's a comic book book in Sanderson style, right? Like, mm-hmm. the rules are... There are no rules. <laughs> there are no rules. But they're the same rules of our world, right? It's set in our world. So the basic rules are ours. Mm-hmm. David's one of us. He's mm-hmm. not, you know, uh, Alamancer or something like that. Um, and then the fun happens in the epics. Like, I love the imagination of, okay what if comic book heroes came to life, but they're dicks? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's fun, I think. He's always got something up his sleeve to make it more creative than your average. He always turns something on its head, right? Yeah. yeah. I haven't read Stormlight yet, but I assume there will be something there that will be different. There's plenty in there that's different. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, that is- what, Jeff? Uh, that is what's fun about this too. I mean, it is a really good concept because right now superheroes are a really big deal, um, and it, even like you talk about Batman versus Superman or Captain America: Civil War, you're kind of seeing the dark side of superheroes. But it's like there are no good superheroes, just supervillains. So you have no one. You're you're almost helpless to fight back against them. And and what do you do in that situation? You fight and back that's what anyway. The reckoners are are there to do. Yeah, yeah. Fight back anyway, and they they have to find it different ways to do it. Weren't which we, is interesting. Ryan, weren't we just talking about something with uh, you know, you know, you're gonna lose, but you fight back anyway? Was that in our in our Mistborn series? We were saying something about that. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, it, I can't remember the. 
Turns out we don't even pay attention to our own <laughs> podcasts, right? Uh, no, but it's but apparently that's a theme in Sanderson, right? Just a little one, right? Staving off, it was, even though we're all going to die, you fight the fight. Yeah, anyway. Oh, yeah. I think it I was mean, and mis- Secret History, I think, is one, the one that we, ah, that we were talking about. Yeah, there. Okay. It's very Galadriel. And Mistborn's like that, too. Mistborn's like that, too, the very first thing. Yeah. You know, you've got this group of plucky heroes who are banding together to fight their god. You know, it's like they, you don't think they stand a chance, but. But they totally you know, do. They're, they're, but they but they try. <laughs> I think that's actually one of the things that stood in the way of me enjoying this book more was the parallel to the first Mistborn book. Oh, really? Um, Explain. Well, I think a lot of those themes that Jeff just mentioned are right here in Reckoners, like the same, like this ruler that you can't. Um, kill he's right. immortal all this kind of thing you got to uh, make this crew come up with this crazy plan to bring him down against all odds like if you do that really high level summary of this book it'd be like you're describing almost the first book of Mistborn in a in a way I think right um, if you just talk about thematically and so I was like a little bit hesitant okay I've been down this road before Sanderson shake me up a little bit more you know mm-hmm. um so I think like if I was going to recommend this book, I would think I would say read Mistborn first and then read this book. Because so, if you're going to have one a little bit spoiled for you or ruined for you, I would say don't let that happen to Mistborn. Let it happen to Reckoners. <laughs> but okay. That's just me because I love the Mistborn books and I really enjoyed this book. But um, yeah, that little kind of parallel was a little bit hard for me. Sure. But uh, I, I'd say the devil's in the details, right? And yeah. and uh, that's the high level. But then when you get down into the nitty gritty, I'd say this is pretty um, creative stuff. And one Totally, of, totally. One of the things he does in this book, and, and I, I kind of, I go back and forth between loving this and hating it. But one of the devices he uses is uh, David's metaphors. And, you know, it's mostly just to kind of inject a little humor in situations where you need a little tension breaker. But I can also see, you know, I I can see the professional writer sitting at his, well, computer nowadays, right? Not his typewriter or anything. But he's sitting down and he's like, I need to come up with some, I, I need to explain this. I need a metaphor to explain what I'm trying to say. And he sits there and he just comes up with a dozen of the crappiest metaphors you ever heard in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and until he finally settles on one that he feels like is going to work pretty well. And so Sanderson, I can see him going, well, what do I, what do, I do with all these? <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I'll just throw them in anyway and make a joke out of it. Did you guys enjoy that or did it drive you crazy? Um, enjoyed it at first, got tired of it, accepted it, and... Uh, and was able to enjoy it as a as a character quip throughout the rest of the series, but yeah, there's there's almost guaranteed going to come a moment when you're like, uh, are we done with this yet? Right. Are we done with this yet? But then, I at least for me, I was able to kind of get over that and say, yeah, it'll be here the entire time. Might as well just enjoy it. Right. What about you, uh, Tommy? I liked it. I mean, I I liked David a lot, and I think that's what carried the book for me was his character and the humor that he brought in and kind of that kind of explained him. He was undaunted by all the crap that happened to him in his life and was able to poke fun at it. And if he lost that, then I think he loses a lot more. So him being able to sustain that through the book was 
part of him, I thought. Right. Uh, hey, Jeff, were there any characters in this book that drove you a little crazy and that you wish hadn't been there? Um, not really. I mean, going back to, to David, I really liked, I was kind of similar to Ryan where I, I saw it and I liked it at first, the metaphors, and then I was like, okay, what is going on? But then they kind of brought it up. You know, they Megan or whoever said, like, you are terrible at metaphors, and then it became a thing. And I just loved it from then on out, seeing like what stupid things he could do, which I, I thought was something that was really funny and cool about the first person narr- narrator, which I don't necessarily always like. The key to having um, an enjoyable book written in first person is you have to have an interesting narrator, like you know, you <laughs> right. like Fight Club or things like that, where they're saying interesting things. And that's what made him interesting was kind of his language. I know there's like the metaphors where where I have a couple of them here, but oh, this isn't even a metaphor. It's just him explaining what's going on. And he says, uh, you could build a lot of interesting hiding places when you could tunnel through what everyone else assumed was untunnel throughable. <laughs> right. <It's> like <laughs> if you had more of like a third person omniscient narrator, you yeah. couldn't do that because they're kind of more characterless. Um, but that made it really fun for me. I highlighted the exact same word slash non word. <laughs> Because, um, well, yeah, I, I, I had the you same and, thought. You and David are both fans of making up and coining new words, so I figured you'd get along just fine. I don't <laughs> I don't coin new words so much as I do fly by the seat of my pants and sound like an idiot. <laughs> we excel at that okay. <laughs> completely. Ain't that the truth? Were you going to say something else, Ryan? Well, uh, since you brought up other characters, I, I think it's worth uh, visiting the the crew um, that mm-hmm. David gets brought into, the Reckoners themselves. Um, we have a group that has been uh, kind of in and out fighting uh, epics, killing off an epic here and there and disappearing. And we know that there's multiple factions kind of in different places. Mm-hmm. Um, and David wants to join them really badly because his mission is to take down Steelheart which is a really lofty goal. Let's be honest here. This, right, but it's what they do. It's what they do, and he figures if anyone can figure out how to do it, they can. And he's the one person who has the actual information, the one survivor of that event who knows how to, you know, the, who could figure out how to bring Steelheart down. Um, so that being said, once we get to know this crew, like with most crews like this, we kind of realize that this is really more of a ragtag group of misfits than it is... Uh, elite fighting force. <laughs> some of whom I like and some of whom I want to shoot. Who didn't you like? Cody. I was going to say this. I hate He's the Cody. one that I had pre- the <laughs> same reaction I think that Ryan <laughs> okay. had. Like, oh, that's funny. Then, no, not funny. Come on. <laughs> yeah. No, by, yeah, by the end it, of the yeah. book, I, I, he was driving me crazy. Uh, <laughs> and spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure Brandon Sanderson got the memo because he is not in the second book. Oh, really? Yeah. So I don't remember. I, I, I can't think of Cody irritating me that much. Just and, the whole, like the whole Scottish thing. It's, it, it was the same joke over and over mm-hmm. and over again. You uh, know, I, it got wearying for me. I see. I, I didn't really have a problem with that. I, I like all of their crew. Um, I think that it's a good, it's a pretty standard mix of people. You've got your, your leader, you've got your techie, you got your gunman. Right. And then you got your crazy cowboy who's right. actually Scottish. Right. <laughs> or is he? <laughs> or is yeah, exactly. Um and each of them provides David with something that he doesn't have. You know, being the that orphaned kid on his own for so long. 
Uh, he gets that father figure from Prof, uh, even though he's a very he's a terrible father figure. <laughs> oh no way, man! <laughs> uh, so Cody would be the brother. Abraham's the uncle. Tia's his mom. Uh, sure. Yeah. And then and then we get into creepy territory with Where, Megan. Now, now it's a <laughs> Way to take Cats that into a stepsister. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh gosh. 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 <laughs> Let's uh, uh, young adult. So young adult anyway. <laughs> so anyway. But well, I, you skipped my favorite. My one of my favorite characters of the crew, which was Abraham. No, I, he's Abraham. the uncle. I loved him. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. But I mean, just I guess since I'm talking, I'll talk about. What I loved about him is he's kind of the, you know, the he's supposed to be sort of in the crew, the, the brute, like the the fire, fighter, the warrior guy, mm-hmm. which a lot of times you see it being this big, burly guy that just loves to fight. I think of, you know, Jane and Firefly, where he's kind of stupid, but loves the fight where he's kind of the opposite, where he's very calm and polite, but also, without a doubt, the best fighter of the group, which I thought was cool and interesting kind of an interesting again you know twisting things in a way that you might not always see them in other books right i would say perceived perceived best fighter wait who is oh well prof, prof. right well that's true <laughs> but that that's one of those but throughout it, the entirety of the throughout the entirety of the book you're sitting here going this is he he is our military muscle mm-hmm. um actually visually in my mind it was it was a really weird uh, balance, but I kept visualizing a s- kind of Barrett from Final Fantasy VII, oh, okay. but with less oh, of a yeah. temper. That was kind of how I, I kept envisioning this guy. See with, the dude with the gun for a hand? With, yeah, he has okay. a gun for a hand. But I just envisioned this guy, looked looks kind of like that, had a scarf around his neck or something the whole time. I was like, okay, this is a you know, giant gun carrying around, but speaking very softly. Um, and yeah. Carrying a big stick. Yes. Right. Yeah, I was getting there. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you reminded me of Ham. Uh, in Mistborn just because mm-hmm. he loves to philosophize. Yeah. Yep. So that was cool. Uh, yeah, I, I liked everybody in the group except uh, except Cody. And I'll, I'll tell you why I think this was the case for me, at least partly why. The first time I read this book, this is the second time, my second time through. And the first time I did it on audiobook. Uh, by the way, if you if you're looking for like your first audiobook, or if you love them and, and you love a good narrator, this is a perfect one for that. I think it, the guy's name is Cl- uh, Cloud. What's his name? And oh, Cloud Andrews or McKess. Uh, Cloud McAndrews. Cloud McAndrews. Sure. Anyway, he's fantastic. Uh, he does a really great job. Um, he he has uh, voices for each of the characters, but they're not so crazy that it's really distracting. Uh, but his Cody drove me insane and and i think that wasn't an accident um but anyway when i was reading it this time on my kindle i heard all of his voices perfectly so sorry i had mcleod andrews mcleod andrews wow yeah we are really good so close mark leod andrews our preparation is just off the charts here today what you get for calling me in here in the morning yeah i know uh, sorry about that um yeah anyway uh, it's well worth a uh it's well worth an audible credit if you have one to use um so uh great narrator uh, other points you guys want to bring up before i do some more of mine so we have and this is me uh, not a confession here i've read the book but i hadn't finished it again a second time before we came into this um so i don't remember what has been revealed yet or not Oh no! Yes, we know that Prof is an epic. Okay, 
We know Prof is an epic, and we know that the tech that the tech is the, his. The tech is his. Yeah, okay. he's a gifter. Yeah. Yes. And that Megan is an epic as well. Okay. I I, I remembered that uh, you know the, the the Megan reveal. I couldn't remember if we had uh, done that. Oh yeah, of course. Anyway, let me get to a point here, <laughs> rather than just stammering on like a fool. Um, Please do. The the tech in here, until we realize what it is or how it comes to be, is very unique and uh, is actually a little bit more of a magic system than the epics will say. Um, I think that I, I love the concept of when I first started reading this. It was tech versus uh, raw magic. power versus magic, yeah, right. type thing. And that's a battle that I've always uh, I've always enjoyed when it's been written out well, uh, because it's it's actually very much uh, an issue that we face today. Only it's a little less magic. It's tech versus manpower type thing. Right. Um, and I think it was explored well in here. And it's interesting tech. It's cool tech, and it's something that we're like, hey, that would be fun to have. I mean, uh, it, t- the tunnelers might not be the most useful thing in the world. That I have the the gloves that. They're, are they tunnelers? I can't remember. Tensors, the, right? Tensors, tensors. Yeah. Yeah. I knew it was a T. You, you have read this. <laughs> yes, I have read this. I <laughs> promise. <laughs> I promise I've read this. But the tensors, like, I, those would be really cool to have, but probably not very useful to me, per se. Well, <laughs> I kind of disagree with the usefulness. I remember, I, well, the way most people use them, I guess. Yeah. Because when, when Prof gets into his fight with those, again, here's a, a, a moment Ken would love. When he's fighting all those soldiers and stuff, and he's like disintegrating their armor, like on his way so to punching cool. them in the face, that was awesome. I I would love to see that in a movie. I think that could be done really, really well. The he said something in yeah. the acknowledgments at the end of the book about working on movifying this. Yeah, I I actually looked up a little bit about it. I was going to bring it up later on, but I could talk about that now if you'd like. Please do. Well, I looked it up. So there apparently. Um, as of July of 2015, it's being uh, adapted for the screen by a guy named Carter Blanchard, who did the final rewrite on Independence Day Resurgence, <laughs> which we haven't yes. seen yet. So, so I don't know if it's good or not, but um, but apparently he must be pretty hot right now because he's got like six or seven other projects for the future that are you know out there, whereas not very many um, things that have been produced. Right, And it's going to be directed, the movie right now, it's slated to be directed by Sean Levy, who's a name I hadn't heard, but then you hear some of the movies he directed. Um, he did like Night at the Museum and some of the sequels, Date Night, Real Steel, The Internship. So he does have kind of experience with both uh, comedies, like specifically action comedies. And also he directed um, some episodes of The Secret World of Alex Mack. And, <laughs> Was that a Animorphs. Disney show or something? At, uh, yeah, I was like a. Sh- I used to love it when I was a kid, but um, and then also Jet Jackson, which is kind of oh, the famous like Jet Jackson. Mm. I know that one. Yeah. So and I actually think I, that I'm glad to hear that. Uh, that sounds like first of all, I'm glad to hear somebody did our research for us. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that that's the case because I think that that's the type of person you want to go after for this genre um, because it will it will appeal to that in that range. This one w- ideally would be sitting as a a low-end PG-13 film is what I would guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that sounds like about the right range. This is also probably the series that of Brandon Sanderson's that I've read that I would feel most comfortable seeing on screen. Right. Uh, because you could do... You can do this story justice in in a two-hour movie. Right. Um, and, yeah. yeah, and the setting is not so wild. 
as his other worlds you know i mean chicago's turned to steel that's pretty crazy but Mm -hmm. uh you know but it's still still chicago right um set work would be so much so easy so interesting on that just make everything in its form and then just spray it with metal (laughs) metal paints so so we have our our writer we have our director uh do we dare try to cast the reckoners um, only if if I'd had more time to think about that. I know, right? I, I think that's where you get a David that is an unknown. Totally, yeah, yeah, totally new actor. Yeah. I I cheated because I was the one that was going to bring it up, and I kind of went through and thought about it a lot of these. But okay, let's hear him. Uh, well, one thing for David, the the one that comes to mind, and it probably wouldn't be just because he's been in so many other of these things, but it's kind of a similar character. That's why it comes to mind is Logan Lerman, the kid. He's in the Percy Jackson movies, and uh, I think mm-hmm. is isn't he in uh, Maze Runner? Maze Runner and uh, Way Way Back, or I, I don't know. Yeah, with... but the interesting thing was, I actually was trying to re- like jog my memory of what the characters were like. So I went on Coppermine.net and like brought up the character pages, and the illustration for him was that he was actually like African American, David. Oh, really? Which I was like, I, I didn't picture him that way, but after seeing that, um, I was like, oh, you know who might be really good? And it's a really random thing to think, but the kid that played kind of the Chris Rock character on Everybody Hates Chris. Wait, I never still saw kind this. Of this, like, this geeky, you know, kind of character. Or like kind of like a Donald Glover type, if Donald Glover was, was a kid. younger again. <laughs> or even like John Boyega. All right. What about, I could see that. Uh, I could do it. Yeah, I could. I mean, uh, that makes more sense. Probably, African-American. yeah. When I, when I read it, David was white, but that's probably just because I'm white. The, yeah. There's no reason he couldn't be black. That's yeah, that's me too. And I actually like Megan. I pictured her with like dark brown hair and kind of like more kind of like tan skin. And then I got to a part where they were like, "Oh, she's like blonde hair with blue eyes and like fair skin." I was like the exact opposite of what I pictured. But I pictured <laughs> kind of you know like when I was 18, the type of girls I was attracted to were you know like that. So I did the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's a moment when they said, and her golden hair, of course. I'm like, what? Of course? Oh, crap. <laughs> uh, um, what about did the other Reckoners? Did you uh, do any of those, Jeff? Yeah, so I had, um, for Abraham, I thought of uh, probably the three lots, three people lots of people would think of, but uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor I thought would be cool. Because that's who I always think of. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't, I, uh, Gesundheit, what? <laughs> <laughs> Chiwetel Ejiofor, he's the guy that was like the bad guy um, in Serenity. Oh, okay. And he was in Children of Men, mm. and his name is impossible to say, so I just kind of jumble it on purpose. <laughs> or another impossible if, name to say. Wait, 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 uh, wait, wait, wait. With Abraham, uh, as long as we're doing colorblind casting, um, Jean Renault, the, uh, the older French actor who was in The Professional, uh, oh yeah, uh, you know he's all over the place. I you know I know Abraham is supposed to be darker skinned, but uh, when especially when I was listening to McLeod Andrews do the narration, I I heard Jean Renault come through pretty uh, pretty clearly. Uh, anyway, go on. Yeah, so there was that Megan. I had a hard time with just because again I pictured her completely wrong in my mind. But the only one I could really come up with that's probably not a good one was uh, the girl. Um, that's played Supergirl, and she was also in. And she'll uh, be free because they're not renewing that series. No, no, yeah, okay, all right. The one that made the appearance but, um, in The Flash, and then right. some. Some of the other ones I didn't have yes. very good ones for. Steelheart, I thought was interesting to think about because I was trying to think of like who could play a good 
evil Superman. So I thought like someone like Hugh Jackman or Clive Owen. Let me uh, let me get a little bit weird on this one. Uh, do you guys remember when I said the Lord Ruler should have been played by uh, should be played by Brad Pitt, and you all laughed at me? Get ready to laugh even more. Okay. Okay. Steelheart, Keanu Reeves. Eh? Uh, eh? Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I love it. Uh, the the silence I, is deafening. I think I pictured him more of an all-American dude. Sure, sure. I mean, that's that is how he's written, and that's why I it. I know this is weird, but. Uh, I, I'm I'm loving Keanu Reeves the last couple of years, and I think uh, I think he could do it. We give him we give Keanu Reeves well, a lot of crap for his acting style and everything. He actually has a very interesting story. If you ever have a few minutes and want to learn something randomly, just random, uh, go look up his story because it's really sad and uh, very interesting. But I can't see him as Steelheart. Uh, mainly, I mean, physically, yeah, he could bulk up and do everything. I just can't see him carrying off a character with that much confidence and cockiness. Mm. All right. That's, I, yeah, I need someone with more he's arrogance. He's kind of like a blank slate. <laughs> blank slate is a very good term to describe him usually. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, you project your, what you think his emotions would be on him rather than actually him acting them out or whatever. Whoa. He's like a meta actor. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> he, um, he lets you do his job for him with your imagination. So, speaking of the uh, of the possible film adaptation, do you want to know why I think this it lends itself so well to a possible film? Is because we get this with some of Sanderson's other stuff, but it's so apparent in Steelheart that he is a very um, cinematic writer. When you read, especially his action scenes, I was reading the uh, the motorcycle chase uh, where David's on the back of the motorcycle and Megan's driving it, and you know things are getting crazy. And this action scene takes like a good 50 pages. It's huge. It's super long. And at no point did I ever get bored. Uh, you know, the whole time I was very engaged with what was going on. And he describes everything in such great detail that uh, some, uh, some people who review the book say, this drives me crazy. Stop describing every single thing. But uh, he does it so well that as I'm reading, the, the words on the page just kind of go away. And pretty soon I'm, I'm just watching the movie on the page, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And, and he's so good at it. Uh, were there any scenes for you guys where you just stopped and went, oh my gosh, I just got through 35 pages and I don't even remember reading a single word? The uh, end sequence in the uh, arena. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when, uh, is it Source Field, I believe he's, he's, no, he's that, taking on two. Uh, Night Wielder. Night Wielder. Night Wheeler. In the yeah. tunnels. Yeah. Yeah. That whole segment, that whole section, just trying to kind of, I got lost. I didn't get lost. I, I fell into the story and I was just visualizing this entire time, like this little, you know, this head sticking, you know, coming out of the wall a little oh, bit man. and then yeah. fading back in and just the incredibly tense uh, visuals you could create cinematically with it. And I think that, I, I think you could hand a, a good screenwriter this book. And they would go, wow, this is like a couple days work for me because that's it wouldn't be hard to translate into a screenplay at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, either of you other guys? Yeah. 
we can move on. Um, let's uh, let's talk about something else then, uh, and and kind of go back to the whole this is a young young adult novel thing because I wasn't quite done with that. Uh, but maybe we'll we'll wrap up back on this subject um, because it's a Brandon Sanderson novel. We do get discussions of politics and faith uh, every so often. And one of the things that I loved about this is that the political commentary is pretty relevant um, to to today. And it's also nicely simplified for a younger audience, not simplified past the point of uh, of truthfulness or at least, you know, what he wants to project as truth. But it, it doesn't insult his readers either. Um, there are a few really good moments um, when uh, when David is confronting Prof about needing to uh, about whether they need to take down Steelheart. He's had his discussion with Megan. Megan says, "No, this is he's yeah he's a bad guy, but look at what he does. You know, all the trains run on time. Basically, if we want to get all Mussolini about it, uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, he's set up a pretty nice system. People here have a much more reliably good life than others around this post-apocalyptic world." And he's talking to Prof, and Prof says, uh, I need to warn you of something. There aren't any answers to be found. There are no good choices. Submissiveness to a tyrant or chaos and suffering. In the end, I choose the second, though it flays my soul to do so. If we don't fight, humankind is finished. We slowly become sheep to the epics, slaves and servants, stagnant. Uh, And it's, so this concept of, well, what do you want? Do you want freedom or do you want security? take your pick it's a it's a very simple concept and it's kind of a a foundational piece so when you're a teenager uh if you can make a a choice on how you feel on that issue then that's going to inform the more complex decisions that come up later you know as you get more involved in in the adult world i feel like he, he does a great job of laying those foundational pieces without getting too complex Mm-hmm. nor insulting the reader. Does that make sense? Or too preachy. Yeah. He, he's really good at, in all of his writings. Um, very rarely does he declare this is truth. Yes. Without providing, even if a character firmly believes that this is truth, they are frequently forced to uh, face the other side of the situation and really assess what they believe. Um, I believe that's been, I think that's a theme in just about every one of the writings that he's done and so it's it's good to see that he's maintains that even at this level that you know even when someone says this is this is how things are or has a very firm belief that they're forced to come to terms with it uh, and realize really what what is the re- what is their reasoning for doing what they're doing right yeah what do you think tommy yeah i i think i love that theme in a lot of sanderson's books where just living isn't enough you got to be striving for something and trying to affect something where just living a life that's secure and um but not free isn't enough it's a theme that gets brought up uh and again i'm not spoiling anything for all you misborn people out there but in the second misborn cycle this Mm -hmm. is a theme that comes up all the time is life too easy here Mm mm-hmm uh, are are we progressing fast enough? What is it that causes us to progress uh, and come up with new things? It, you know, in in Brandon Sanderson's case, it seems pretty clear that he's saying, um, you know, we 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 will be stagnant if we don't have conflict, if we don't have trouble. So yeah, I don't know. Uh, but like you say, he does make you think about the other side, even if I feel like it's pretty clear that he feels one way. 
mm-hmm. but he puts the other side of the argument into the mouth of a character who we're supposed to like, and that's Megan, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's good at that. Uh, any other bullet points you guys want to bring up? So, talking about that, I was wondering, in this book, David is the catalyst that actually makes the Reckoners, he's kind of the tipping point, right? The Reckoners are a little bit stagnant. They're not doing too much real change, and then David comes on the scene, and all of a sudden, they bring down Stillheart. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know if I had a problem with that, um, and I still don't know. Like, So I'm just trying to, I'm <laughs> so trying to think through you mean it. Like, like, was the change too sudden? Yeah. Like, what did David bring that made the Reckoners all of a sudden shift gears, or were they just ready for it and they needed a new voice? Um, because they talked about there's other pockets of Reckoners like how come someone else didn't have that idea in the Reckoners and was able to voice it like David? I think it, I, honestly, I, the only piece in the story that lends uh, credence to why David is able to initiate that change is the fact that he has, he has the silver bullet uh, being the only one who's ever seen Steelheart actually injured. And the fact is that because Prof and, and others can verify that story a little bit, um, they believe that they actually could figure it out. And he shows his prowess in being able to figure out weaknesses. Um, he's all the work he's done on a, you know, he comes to find out as a very, on a very professional level, he just hasn't been using the common terminology when he's, you know, when he's talking with Tia about how he uh, categorizes epics and things like that. Um, my biggest issue with that isn't actually uh, that he had that information or that he got the reckoners to go with it. It's just that he always seems to figure out the weakness right before he's going to die. Mm-hmm. That's probably my biggest, or very rarely has he ever gone, does, does he go into a situation knowing for sure what it is. Now they do play, he does play with that well. Sanderson plays with that well because like with... Um, fortuity at the for, beginning? Not fortuity. Um, we, just a minute ago. Night Wilder. Night Wilder. Yeah. He talks about, uh, well, I think it's UV light. Um, he kind of figures that out, but he he doesn't know it. And so we actually get this great scene of him testing it. Oh, mm-hmm. man, that was When they're in the scene. weapon shop and it happened. It's like he played really well with that to help figure it out. And I appreciate that. But there's also been there. Well, like without spoiling anything else, he frequently figures it out right at the last minute. You know, Steelheart's right. blow. Everything's blowing up around him. And, oh, I figured it out. <laughs> right. I know what it is. Like, oh, good job. <laughs> Frequent, good time to figure that out. Yeah, you know? yeah I guess so. Um, other bullet points from Jeff. Do you have anything else before we wrap up? Yeah, one thing that I have to say is Brandon Sanderson played me like a fiddle with Megan and her whole thing. I never suspected that she was going to turn out to be um, an epic yeah. firefight. And it's like... Totally. Even before then, before I put that together, it's like, you know, she's dying. And I'm like, no, she's not going to die. And then then she dies. I'm like, no, she's not really dead. They're going to be able to to pull something out that's going to save her. Oh, they're burning the whole base and her body with it. It's like she's never coming yeah. back. And then she comes back and I was like, what? Oh, my <laughs> gosh, this is crazy. You know, like he just <laughs> a very I'm sophisticated feel, reaction. Yeah, I feel stupid. <laughs> I feel stupid for not doing it. But he's like, he just. Did he anticipated exactly what I was going to be thinking and was like, oh, you think this? Well, I'm going to, you know, you think you can bring her back? Well, try bringing back her ashes. You know, I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was the same. I was the exact same way the first time I read it or listened to it. Thanks, McLeod Andrews. 
um, I I had no idea. I was completely blown away. Uh, just like him when he was going after Nightwielder, I thought that uh, that she was a uh, an illusion. Uh, but no, you know, so I was the exact same way. And then this time, yeah. as I was reading it through the second time, knowing the secret at the end, uh, it was, you know, it's like, oh, this is so obvious. That's so yeah, obvious. She can't, I, <laughs> she, she can't accept the powers. Like there's a reason why she right. can't accept, you know, those powers. And, and, like, and there's, there's so many things. He drops so many little hints. If you just, um, if you pay attention to when he describes her facial expressions mm-hmm. or her reactions to certain news, uh, it, it becomes glaringly obvious once you know the secret, but it's, I don't know, Tommy, did you guess it? I suspected it. Did and you? I, I was going to create a big board. I don't know if you guys listen to any sports podcast, but they have a big board of all the bets throughout mm-hmm. the season. And I was going to create one of those. And one of them was that Megan was an epic or a spy. But or when both. she died, I was like, Sanderson did me again. Like, <laughs> you got me. Like, <laughs> she's none of those. And so I, when she died, I completely wrote her off and was like, there's no way Which she's coming it's, back. It's funny because even though we assumed opposite things, he tricked us both, which is yep. like, again, another Sanderson skill that I don't understand besides it's magic. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, Ryan, do you have anything else or do you want to react to that first? Um, so with Megan, um, I, I, never, I never could pin down who was going to be an epic in the in there i i just knew that there had to be one i actually was slight a uh, bit surprised when both prof and megan were epics i'm like oh really pretty much uh, abraham cody either you want to yeah. come forward as Step well up, man. my my prediction and i'm really glad i was wrong uh was that by the end uh, something would happen and david would become an epic and he would be forced I to, be, to uh, be what he hates. And the fact is, I still haven't read Calamity, so perhaps that's something he still has to deal with. Um, but up to this point, I was like, okay, uh, when's he going to become an epic? When's he gonna, and when he would go through the entire thing, and he is always he always holds true to being what he is, I really appreciated the, that he held to that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Everyone else can be an epic. That's fine. Um, so my kind of final bullet point is the contradiction that is prof. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is, uh, I kind of getting into his personality and the way that he thinks about the world. Uh, I was a little bit bothered this time as I read the book because he really contradicts himself hard. Um, he says at, at one point in, uh, in chapter 12, he says, you've got passion to kill. But you need uh, uh, you need to find passion to live, <clears throat> which I think is great advice. Uh, he, you know, he's, uh, you got to live your life for something, not just against something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then in uh, a few chapters later, chapter twenty, he says, "Don't get it into your mind that we're revolutionaries." And he gives this whole speech about we're not here to uh, make everybody's lives better. We're not here to. Um, you know, create a, a new great little governmental system here in Chicago. We're here to do one thing, and that's kill, kill Steelheart. Um, well, yeah. And kill Epics. Kill, kill Epics. epics. Yeah. In this case, Steelheart. And then it's going to suck for everybody for a while, uh, but that's not our job. Our job isn't to fix it. Our job is to break it. And I felt like that was a big contradiction where he's, you know, his entire existence is we're going to break it. We're against epics. We're going to kill Steelheart. And then 
you know, screw the whole rebuilding thing. That's somebody else's responsibility. Uh, you know, but just earlier he had said, find something to live for, not just something to live against. Does that make sense? Totally. And so I was, I was yeah. a little bit bothered, and I wondered if maybe Sanderson just hadn't thought this through the way that he thinks most things through so well. Um, or if he did want to set up a character who was really obviously contradictory. I think you might actually see, and maybe I'm just being uh, giving excuses to Sanderson, that... Which I am more than willing <laughs> to do all the time. <laughs> look at the... Uh, look at when those statements are made and look at kind of when those things are... Because we learned that um, Prof doesn't when he has to fight and when he has to get involved and, and utilize his power a little more, it changes him. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's entirely possible that some that he may say one thing and then say something different based on his, his current, current mood. Mood. Yeah, yeah. okay. Dang it, yeah. I, I gotta and, read and this book just... again. <laughs> what Jeff? And it's not just that. I mean that's totally accurate what Ryan just said. You know, you I would be interested to read it again and see what had happened when he's saying these different things, but also his whole existence and identity is, you know, contradictory. He is a reckoner, the head of the reckoners whose sole purpose is to, as he says himself, kill epics yet. He's an epic himself. So I think it's intentional. Yeah. He is so contradictory. And I think he knows more about the nature of epics than anyone being an epic that, gives up his powers willingly so he sees what he is and knows what he is when he's an epic and knows what it does and so that's his life purpose is like right. these aren't good people when they're using their powers right yeah yeah ah dang it like i said maybe i just have to go read this a third time and <laughs> actually pay attention um all right you guys we'd better wrap up um i'm i'm done with my points but do you guys have any other final points you want to bring up or should we call it I have a final question, but okay. it might be longer. If we're wrapping up, we might want to just let's, call it. Let's hear it, and we'll ponder. Okay. We'll it's going it. back to uh, Ryan's tech comment. So I still have a question on the tech. So we see the tensors. We get that maybe he found something, how to get the epic's power, and then they pay Diamond using with epic epic souls basically. souls or, or DNA, DNA or something. And we assume, okay, that's how the tensors were made. That's how this new tech is. They're somehow getting these epic powers by harvesting them after an epic dies. But then we learn the truth about the tensors. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm wondering, okay, what were they doing with those harvested epics? Like how are they actually yeah. using those? I, I would assume that that's, still that that's actually going on they are testing epic dna and stuff but that's just not how we got right. this particular tech but did we see any tech exactly where that could have yeah you've got come from you've like, got I guess the, the energy weapons and all sorts of those things oh, that yeah. they use yeah. that are that are done by tech and i think that's one of the reasons why we believe that those things were done the same way because we know that it's possible so we're like oh of course well yeah they've got these other things so these things have to be the same Right, the dowser probably came from testing epic DNA. Maybe the the gravitrons or whatever on the <laughs> motorcycle. I, I, can I just point out how great the word epic is for this? Because we're saying things like, oh, yeah, we're testing epic DNA. <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Ryan, anything else uh, for you? 
Um, we've already hit on most everything. I really appreciate the... Uh, I really like our villains in this, and I shouldn't. I really shouldn't like our villains. Yeah. Um, but I believe it's a very... I think it's a very true-to-life to thing that if someone really did become invincible, that it's entirely possible that they may decide that, you know what, it is my right to rule. And because of that, I believe that our all of our villains in this society that we have uh, in this story is believable. Yeah. Yeah, which I appreciate because you could easily very comic book you could do this in a very comic book styling and you wouldn't have to be in a very believable setting if you didn't want to be sure and i think steelheart is pretty comic booky but not it would be great as a graphic novel yeah mm-hmm. for sure all right um let's wrap it up you guys uh thanks jeff for uh, skyping in on this one my pleasure and tommy this is your first time in right yeah hopefully yeah. i didn't screw up how bad. was it so my, much fun. My palms are sweaty. But <laughs> <laughs> At least it's just your palms. Yeah. I can think of some other things that might be sweaty. I'm going to go wash that chair. Uh, so let's uh, wrap it up. We'll reconvene in, what, two or three weeks for uh, Firefight, mm-hmm. which which I have read. But like you, Ryan, I have not yet read Calamity. So this will be my second time through Firefight. Uh, it's going to be obviously a ton of fun because it's a Brandon Sanderson novel. And he doesn't write bad ones, as far as I can tell. So So, far. So far. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, pressure's on, Brandon. All right, you guys. We will see you in a couple weeks. Uh, Go to imz.com slash legendarium and join us there. Also, hit us up on our Facebook page, obviously. Uh, Go to thelegendariumpodcast.com, and uh, and you can see all of our backlog there, including our entire Brandon Sanderson series so far. Enjoy. Have a good week. Mm